as an industry we made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Tim Maloney and Ben Ward, co-founders of Emerge Worlds. So join us as we explore their journey. Of course, Dev Diary is funded by an amazing group of people at patreon.com slash devdiarypodcast. They help grow the show, make it bigger, make it more successful, and they've got early access to this episode. Consider checking it out yourself, and if you can't do that, perhaps consider throwing the show a five-star review or equivalent on your podcast service of choice. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the show. So today I'm joined by both Tim and Ben. How are you both? Yeah, really well. Thanks, Paul. Good, thanks, Paul. It's, a, am sure, a, an exciting but also probably tiring time. You've both just launched a brand <laughs> new game. So um, ha- how are the bags under the eyes at the moment? Oh, they're, they're growing growing by the hour, the bags, <laughs> on my eyes. Um, yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah, some, some late nights lately uh, that we've been putting in. Uh, especially over the weekend because the game launched uh, on Friday. So, yeah, we were we were up uh, until the morning on Friday launching it, and then uh, over the weekend, uh, definitely doing some uh, publicity and also uh, in, in in our Discord and stuff like that, yeah. uh, answering yeah. questions, feedback uh, that people have got. And so, yeah, we've been putting in some some long hours lately. No, that's yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I think we we seem to get through it relatively unscathed in terms of uh you know big bugs and things uh no yeah. major crashes so that was actually huge that was we, good we, but uh yeah i think it, like tim said the whole weekend it's like you've got one eye on discord the whole time and and uh steam of course like i've i've had eyes on steam eyes on humble and and gog all weekend so yeah and i'm sure i will for the next few weeks so yeah 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 everyone i've spoken to over the years who've been in similar positions and i'm chatting to perhaps at the same time often find themselves saying the exact same things like okay this you know it's been exciting thankfully not too many horror stories that i've that i've had to chat to people about yeah hopefully that remains the case here as well but yeah they're constantly looking for any of those comments from players or critics or whatever that are citing bugs and they're hoping that the engagement is good and just can't mm-hmm. help but look at the numbers um which as a master teacher i can appreciate <laughs> sitting down and looking at numbers quite a lot but at the same time it, 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 there's probably a point it where it starts you, to get a little bit tiring yeah yeah it can send you if you're looking at the things tick over it can send you a bit batty sometimes but um yeah as ben was saying we were we were fortunate enough not to have any major major problems with the launch uh we tested a little bit before we we launched, which was good. I uh, yeah. found a few really big things uh, in lead up to the launch and fixed those before. So, but yeah, we were working uh, right up until you know the last the moment. hour of uh, Although last we did, moments of launch. We did do as we, you know. I think we were good boys because we put aside our launch. Yeah, that's right. And we, we didn't did. we, we didn't it poke aside. at it too much. So yeah. no, I <laughs> think it was Wednesday bit. night. We put that aside. Yeah, and uh, had out, and then as you do, have your pat your day one patch after. I think we worked on day one patch, Friday, and then. But yeah, that's an interesting real. That's an interesting one as well that we chatted a lot about. It's like, when do you get that candidate up there, and you know, you, you kind of hands off if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. 
So that's an interesting one. And it's one. hard though. It's really hard, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to keep your hands off it. Yeah, there, but, uh, there's a really difficult point where eventually you've got to let this thing loose, whether you whether you like it or not. Yeah. Whether you feel like there's you know I can do this one or, these one or two last minute things, but eventually there's so a point tempting. where there's no time for that any longer, and it, you just got to put the faith in what you've already done, and and then yeah maybe yeah. You can deal with the day one patches and all those sort of things after the fact. So congratulations to the both yeah. of you on the launch so far, and we're obviously going to dive you. much more into Dross shortly. But um. For anyone listening, this is Dev Dory, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey has led to this current point in time. Now, as I said, you know, Dross is, you know, current day stuff and, and we're definitely gonna wade into that shortly. But I'd I'd love to, I guess, rewind to a point well before you're actually working in games and talk about, I guess, the more consumerist side of things. So, um, where did video games first come into your lives? Do you recall what some of the first games were that you ever played? Perhaps even what the very first game was that you ever played? I mean, I can, I can actually remember you that. Go. It's you going to date me. It's, it's seriously going to date me. It Don't was, worry, we've uh, all been there with this. It, it was a Sierra Quest game, Space Quest Two. Yep. On an Amstrad PC when I was seven years old. So that would have been 87 or something. Yeah, I was going to um, say, there's no denying that that dates you a little bit, but at the same time, really cool. It, it does date yeah. me. I, I knew it would, but I, I don't mind. Yep. Uh, but yeah, and, honestly, I loved yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, Ben. I was just going to say, yeah, I'm very similar to Ben because we actually went to primary school together uh, back in Canberra. So I was very similar at Space Quest 2. Um I mean, I even remember a game. It was on computers even before that. It was called Load Runner. Oh, it's yeah. like this old old school game, and it, it's just so, such basic graphics. And um, I remember we were playing that on my mate's computer. He was the only one that had a computer at that point, and so he had Load Runner. But I think the game, uh, I'm similar to Ben in terms of yeah, space. The Sierra games uh, were definitely big uh, when I was uh, you know starting out, and also. Um, I do remember at one point, uh, it came a little bit later, but Duke Nukem. I don't know oh, if you yeah. like there was a, and there, it was the first, it was before, um, obviously before sort of, uh, people, people could hook up and network the computers together and we would jump into Duke Nukem and, um, have a lot of fun in that one. So that's another early one that sort of stands out as well for me. And so for both of you, and actually, you, and you mentioned the fact that obviously you grew up kind of primary school sort of level with you. I did, I knew there'd been a lot of crossover over the years and obviously right up to the current day. I did not realize it went that far back. So for both of you then, I guess, how did those those gaming interests develop over time? Now, obviously, you just touched on Duke Nukem, which came a little bit later on, but yeah, how did those tastes yeah. grow? Did you find yourselves playing similar games? Were there different games? Were there particular genres or franchises that you really jived with a little mm. bit more than others? I mean, personally, I mean, from my point of view, um, anything that had a, you know, I think I gravitated towards anything that had a great story and characters as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, even, uh, yeah, anything in the, the 90s as well, as you go through the 90s, like the Monkey Island series. Oh, yeah. Um, the humor from that. Yep. You probably see a little, maybe we try to get a little bit of that into Dross as well. Um, you know, that, that was kind of had a big, impacted me i guess and just um uh yeah any game where, where world building was such a sitting you, you go into that world and you felt like wow they really fleshed out that world completely and i i lost myself in that game wherever that was the case i think you know that really for me personally um 
but yeah i mean i i think you know and then in my teens you started to get into the more 3d games and the, you know 3d shooters and stuff and if i could be completely honest yeah that's probably where i i, I my interest almost waned a little bit with the yeah, right. you know the quakes and the dooms it wasn't so much me per se but um yeah i think definitely the the adventure games and the um you know of course the the super nintendo oh, lots of super nintendo best. games um the zeldas the street fighter 2s <laughs> you know oh yeah street fighter 2 yeah yep yeah same same with me uh, again like similar uh, interest to ben obviously in gaming uh I do. I went sort of through a period of, um, you know, the Nintendo games were, were sort of where I would land. Um, Mario Kart, uh, you know, I did um, obviously like Mario as well, but uh, Metroid, love Metroid, uh, the series. So I was always excited when a new one came out. And um, yeah, getting together and playing Bond 64. Again, oh, that yeah. was a. Goldeneye? That was Goldeneye. <laughs> yeah, Goldeneye was massive in terms of the friendship group uh, and getting together. And, and I remember my friend had a, um, in those days, you know, they didn't have the huge TV screen. They didn't have these massive things. And, but my friend had a, um, a, a newish TV. It was a four by three TV. And we used to you go to his place and play uh, four player GoldenEye. And so that was, that was huge. One shot, one kill. It was so much fun. And, and like Ben. And all those uh, other ones. Oh, so good. So good. And, um, and Street Fighter Two, Street Fighter Two mm. as well was massive. Like when we were growing up uh, on that arcade, like our fo- I feel on... like that was our formative yeah. game for some reason. Yeah, Street it's Fighter just... Two, yeah, it was um, huge. Um, we used to go, we used to have the arcades around uh, the local shops, and we used to go and put in some coins, and you'd challenge people. It was really competitive, even at the local shops for Street Fighter Two. And then Street Fighter Two made its way onto console. Uh, I think it was either the 64. I think it was 64. It I might was, have been earlier. Was, I think it was Nin- Super, Super Nintendo. Nintendo. Super yeah, Nintendo. Because yeah. that's what sold and, yeah. so many Nintendos at the time. Yeah. yeah. And that was so cool as well when it came on to Super Nintendo. I was like, oh my God, I've got the arcade in the house. Like, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice how those things kind of all yeah, came together and worked so magically on that platform. But um, I guess, yeah, yeah. as things kind of continue, and I guess, you know, we, we start drifting towards, you know, present day. Were there any, any, I guess, and things became more and more 3D and we kind of, you know, the landscape became what we largely know it to be now. Uh, any games that have really stuck with you over that journey as well? Oh, um, I, I can... I, yeah, oh, you Ben, you go, you go. No, you go first. <laughs> All right. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I still stick with Nintendo games. Uh, I still like the Switch. Uh, love Mario too. games. Yeah, Zelda as well. Uh, both Zeldas that have come out recently. Uh, I think, yeah, just the... They're, they're, for me, it, it amazes me, actually, because um, we obviously have developed Dross, and just seeing the technicality, the technical prowess of Zelda games just blows my mind. Like, it's it's so polished. It Like, they've got so many systems running. Uh, and I look at it more on that level. I'm just blown away. Like, even the story elements of the Zelda games and how they interweave all the different um, dialogue and quests and weather system. And so it blows me away on that level. So I look at it more from that perspective. But uh, yeah, definitely yeah, gravitated towards sort of the Switch Switch games. No, that's fair. And I mean, um, look, you know, ch- people can check their opinions of the, the modern Zelda games at the door. 
because and look i say that as someone who's not crazy about breath of the wild and tears of the kingdom they're just not the path that i necessarily wanted zelda to go down but on a as you say on like a technical level Mm. they're top shelf like there's just so many incredible things going on in those systems and the way they all intermingle perfectly is is crazy to me yeah yeah same to me it's sort of like a magic in a way it's like um Mm. it just takes so much work yeah and it's i think doing this yourself it's the um it's the fact that the work is sometimes invisible to the player is the respect such that it is because you can flow through that game seamlessly and somehow still find your way but it is actually planned in a way is the most amazing thing and you know looking at how they used you know how they planned the landscape in terms of shapes the, the the triangular shape on the horizon to lead players eyes to certain places subconsciously on the map you know just small things like that the invisible the, guiding hand and the psychology of the whole thing yeah that the psychology is yeah. that people maybe if you're not a dev you of course you enjoy it but maybe you don't know or appreciate that that's what it took to make that work yeah no, I can certainly understand that. And it's certainly one of those things that um, even, I mean, you know, I'm not in game dev. I sit and comment on it a lot and I get to chat to so many people on the, on this show over the years. And it's really been thanks to the perspective shared on this show that's helped me kind of start to notice those little things despite the fact that I was doing reviews and felt like I knew them really well beforehand. Mm. There was a whole other level yeah. where I started to kind of hear developers talk about what was going on in some of these games, whether their own games or observations made about others' games. Just mm-hmm. like the conversations we're having now about Zelda, and oh yeah, okay, and you you start noticing all those things, and you start thinking about another level. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you do, you yeah. do, you actually think of, of it on a different level. And we're a, a small team uh, ourselves, but um, some of those systems, as I said, that are running in the background, that you sort of, you know, the weather system and everything. That even the, um, you know, our game Dross has a, you know, we do have sort of a basic sort of item system and things like that. You can get items and we've all like got a collectible system and a few different things running as well, but uh, the level that they uh, run it on those big games. And I think for me, uh, we are a small team. So communication wise for us, it's relatively easy to communicate between, you know, there's three core sort of team members you know, yeah. on our team. Uh, and it's relatively easy to communicate between us. And I, it always boggles my mind in terms of, you know, the Zelda would have maybe 300 people and organizing all of those people to all work uh, well well together. I guess there's bumps along the road, but again, technically that's that's pretty, uh, that blows my mind too, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a big ship to steer. Those uh, producers at the very top are, <laughs> are yeah. earning those pay yeah. packets, I'm sure. <laughs> that's right, that's right, yeah. And so for both of you, how did you kind of come to realize that, you know, kind of differing points, I guess, that game development might have been something that you actually wanted to pursue yourself? Because I get, yeah, I guess, you know, for the fact that there was primary school experience together and lots of kind of yeah. shared po- points where you've come together over the years, that's, that's not always been the case at the same time as well. And you've kind of gone off on different paths at different stages. So I guess when did you realize that games might have been a thing that you wanted to actually pursue, not purely as a consumer, but as a developer as well? Um, yeah, I mean, I could have shot at that. I guess uh, I can probably answer more as an artist because yep. that, that is the half that I occupy, occupy I guess. Um, like, honestly, I, I started 
in the industry like 2001. So with like Chrome, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I st- I was with them as kind of doing textures and concept art. You know, right in the when they were still on PS, God, PS one or two. Yeah, one um, two at that point. Yeah. Re- yeah, really early. Yeah, but um, uh, I think it, I actually studied architecture. So <laughs> architecture was my my thing for a um, while. Degree, yeah, but um, honestly, uh, I I really I gravitated at that point into the the concept art part of it. I loved concept art and I really wanted to get into that. But, you know, and I, I, I honestly, for someone like that, who, who loved doing art and illustration and design, there weren't too many avenues to, to you know what I mean, to do yeah, that and earn money in Australia. So yeah. I can be fairly honest and say it was also a practical decision at that point. Um, I didn't want to do graphic design per se. I, I you know, logos and, and type didn't interest me as much as, you know, uh, designing worlds and characters and yeah. environments. Those more open-ended um, sort of. Yeah, projects, yeah, yeah. So, I, I really to do that kind of work in Australia, that was one of the only places you could do it. The only exception may have been if you had, let's say, contacts in the, you know, the film industry early film industry like at fox studios in australia which i didn't have (laughs) so um that's really kind of what i think got me into it and once i was in i loved it so you know yeah yeah i can just um talk a bit about my background yeah my background i did media production at uni uh with creative writing as well and i actually started out as an editor so started doing uh, TV commercials, advertising, then went into TV. Yeah, as I was, as uh, I was I doing some that. digging, I saw like the Seven Network was something that you'd been, you'd been yeah, doing with them yeah, as seven, well as some freelance. Seven Network. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of freelancing and Seven Network stuff. And uh, yeah, I um, but start, definitely started out uh, as an editor and a bit more of a technical sort of background in that field. And then I sort of went from editing into producing, so just organizing productions and things like that. Uh, from there and I was down in Sydney at that point and uh, yeah I, um, I was freelancing producing at that point came up to Brisbane moved up to Brisbane and Ben came me and Ben caught up uh, in Brisbane and at that point there was um, I think they just released the first dev kit for the oculus the oculus oh, yeah. dev kit the VR dev kit and we had it at the production place I was working at uh, and I had a go of it and I was like oh gee that is friggin that's so cool like it's, I sort of saw the possibilities of what you could create there in, in VR and it really blew my mind away on a technical level as well as what you, know, what you could actually maybe achieve with it. And yeah, Ben and I caught up and we um, yeah, decided to start our company Emerge Worlds. Uh, we caught up for dinner and mm. uh, you know, decided to do a few a prototypes that at that night. point. <laughs> I literally, <laughs> yeah. no, because I'd been doing some dev and I, I think completely right, random. Yeah. Completely yeah, random. Yeah, I just had a mill, headset. Right? Sorry. That yeah, that's right. Mill, yeah, yeah. yeah. I Gun think I. And the like. Yeah, I think I just happened to have a like a headset in my bag, and so it was. Yeah, it was kind of a fortuitous meeting. But um. Yeah. Yeah, it was a definitely a time when yeah. VR. VR kind of had started to really raise its head with potential, and I think that's what we really jumped onto at that point. Um, yeah. And you know. Yeah. 
yeah, from from there uh, we decided to start the company. I was still freelancing, Ben was still doing a little bit of stuff as well. And um, yeah, we did a couple of prototypes to start with in VR and that we went from there. That's where we sort of started. Yeah. And yeah, I guess for Ben, it was maybe a slightly more natural thing given some of the yeah dev work you'd already been doing. Tim, a little less so when I, you know, and I guess I'd been doing yeah. my LinkedIn trawling before, but you know, some of that freelance yeah. work that saw you working with MTV and Corona, Heineken, etc. Um, yeah, you know, quite quite the quite the change of pace, I guess. Um, as you yeah, made it. So, so, how did you make that? Ju- like, how did you feel as you were making that jump? It's it is quite a lot different yeah, was, to what you'd been doing beforehand. Yeah, very different. Uh, I think uh, initially it was, um, yeah, it was definitely. I, you know, even Unity, you know, the program, you've obviously got Unity, Unreal, the different game engines, other ones as well. But yeah, I had very little experience with the game engines when I, when we decided to sort of start the, um, start the company. And yeah, I, I think uh, over time, I, I, I had that technical background with editing. So, and also post production type things as well. Yeah. And over time, the more I saw the way Unity worked and we had a um, our first program with Dion and Dion is still with us even today. He's, he's still programming all, everything that we do, but he came in and I sort of saw the way it was working. It was definitely a jump for me uh, in terms of the programming side of things. I had a little bit with post-production. I did a little bit of programming for some of the visual effects and things like that that I'd seen, but I really didn't have a background in that. But um, yeah, it was definitely a leap for me when we first started uh, the company and trying to get my head around how the, even the process of game development, how it worked. Uh, and it was definitely a lot more, a lot uh, in film production and TV and all of those things. It's it's very, I guess, very structured. You you have more a, linear. you know, pre, 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 more linear. You have a pre-production process you know script writing pre-production storyboards uh-huh. then you go and shoot you go and shoot and then it goes into post-production vfx and done you know like that's the process games move around all of those things at one time i, I reckon the whole thing <laughs> they constantly are churning so for me getting used to that it's like and it's yep. very quick very quick the way you can update things and this things go in at different times oh let's get that particle effect in here and and you're not even halfway through your production. So uh, that took me a while to get used to as well. But uh, yeah, it's been great. It's been really good. Yeah, structurally very different with different systems coming online at different points and all those sorts of things and, and art Definitely, styles and how yeah. they can kind of intermingle with that. And again, come yeah. online at different points as well and the refinements that also come with it. It's it, There's so many different stages to it that are yeah. far less linear yeah. when you compare it to yeah a lot of other, a lot of other forms of media like we were discussing before definitely a lot less linear um that would be the best way to describe from where i came from mm. ben was probably more more in that environment and so he ben actually guided me through some of that early on as well i had to be sort of i think yeah. i think that's true but and um but yeah it's 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 fascinating comparing the two though i find in the different structures of games and film and they're obviously similarities of course there are similarities and overlaps but then there really are some things that are completely different and i think the one example that i would give that's it's so fascinating because we really tried to get you know a cool story into dross you know narrative was really important and i guess tim's example is a lot of time in film and tv you have your script and it's locked off 
and it's approved yep. and it yeah, you know, yeah. flows yeah. naturally yeah. through those locked stages but god tim i mean that like it dross and i can imagine many other game productions it kind of it arises as it goes as yeah. it, <laughs> you know it has the yeah. ten, this amorphous thing sometimes as in something you do in the art or the environment then dictates other back. elements exactly so it's really interesting yeah yeah yeah, it's, it's easy to see how, you know, development pipelines and those sort of things can really bloat and not necessarily because oh, of, you know, usual yep. things like people oh, talk about, you know, totally. feature creep or whatever, which are absolutely factors as well, but also yeah. the inspiration that can come from one little facet, whether that is an art style, whether that is the inclusion of, like, the design of one particular level or region mm-hmm. or whatever, and, and the things that come from that, people go, oh, shit, I can take this and actually do it in a whole, ra- you mm-hmm. utilize this idea in a whole range of other ways and and whatnot so um it can really bloat out a game's development pipeline simply due to things like that and it's oh that's that's not true and i thing. do think even with a small team as i said three people for us with some people helping out uh, along the way uh yeah even um i think what happened with myself during the project was actually uh we had a game previously a vr game but on this project i was more involved in unity and i noticed my skills getting better as we progressed and so what happened was for me was oh I, like something that I couldn't do two or three years ago in Unity. I, I didn't know how to do, it might get bypassed and you're like, oh, I can't do that. So we're going to move on. We're going to do that, this other thing. And then as we went along, as the experience grew, I um, could find, oh, I can probably do that. Um, so we would go back to certain elements maybe that needed a little bit of work and yep. and go back that way. But it was so interesting that in terms of myself, my skills just sort of grew over time and we could do more towards the end of the game that we could actually, than we can do at the start. So that's I different as well. I think that it's interesting to compare, like when we were shipping our first game, generally speaking, a lot of, and, you know, thankfully so, our, our programmers that, we had on staff took care of most of the bugs <laughs> yeah, <good>. and engine <laughs> issues of course if they hadn't we wouldn't have had a game but um you know this time around you know me and tim are, we were there on ground zero fixing bugs in unity and <laughs> putting out fires yeah. as well so just not in the code not in the code, but not in the code. Definitely uh, not. <laughs> not in the code. No, code squeaky. Yeah, no way about there. I've tried that before, and it it uh, didn't work out too 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 well. So, but uh, yeah, it's what Ben was saying. Yeah, we we I think you just grow over. You know, if you're definitely a small team, you got get experience in so many different areas uh, within Unity, and uh, we yeah things that we I couldn't we couldn't do two or three years ago we understood more as well like even some of the back end behind how a system works and so yeah. Ben and I could go in there and, and fix it rather than a you know uh, Dion our programmer going in and fixing something so yeah it's very cool uh, very cool how these skills can kind of build up over time and with experience and I, I guess from there like We've we've danced around a choice wording here, uh, danced around kind of past VR, uh, past works and VR specifically. So so where does Dance Collider come into the mix? How like in terms of that as a project, um, 
what was it like to be yep. able to work in VR, develop specifically VR, launch in VR? The game is available across uh, multiple different headsets from PC to PlayStation. There's lots of options there for people to, to go check the game out, and they should absolutely do so now. I even just took a little bit of a look on the store earlier, and if you're on PlayStation, the, the, the original PSVR version, it's it's there, and, and it's uh-huh. actually on sale yep. as we speak too. So um, opportunities oh, for people <laughs> to, to pick up the game as well. Uh, but I guess what was it like, and for anyone who's listening who's not aware of the game, what was it? Yeah, I, I can. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so um, it's it's a completely different game to our new one, Dross. So Dance Collider is a virtual reality uh, dancing game, and so it's a rhythm rhythm game. And yeah, we actually, uh, I think I was talking before about we did two prototypes uh, early on. One was a game, uh, a prototype for a game called Cupid, where you're shooting down some things, and the other was. Uh, the prototype for what is now known as dance collider so we we started out with the prototype and i remember the initial sort of thing were were, were walls that you hit but that developed into um b- nodes balls that you hit um and the balls come down in uh rhythm with the beat of the music and you hit those and it's a a game that's uh gets yeah a lot of exercise uh it's got some really cool electronic music in it you dance off against some characters, you know, that are sort of facing off against you. So it's a bit of a yeah. bat dance battle. And you're also uh, competing on leaderboards and things like that, you know, for high scores and stuff. So it's definitely a more arcade style game, uh, yeah. probably similar to what, like we were talking about before, like Street Fighter 2. We yeah. sort of envisaged that, hey, what would a, a dance game be like in VR? So that's I think how Dance Collider I, came about. I think if we'd, we'd always say if we had slightly more resources a second time round, like more resources more staff more yeah you know, knowledge like i think that whole dance battle thing that's where the team would agree like the almost the ideal um That'd be so version cool. of dance collider was probably i think we got it to a cool place but yeah it's this idea of it like a um uh, what is it called call and call and return not Res- call and return. response or... call, and call. call and response yeah um yeah. like dance battle basically um so that was the original core idea of it and um yeah i mean i, I mean i think we've we've still got our discord although <laughs> um it doesn't probably get as much attention as as, as uh it used to but um yeah a lot of people really responded well to dance collider and um yeah, it was a cool game. Cool music as well. Well, I mean, yeah. you get to speak to the the VR community, which is is a tight. It's a smaller community, but it is a tight knit one, and it's one that's really keen to to try new games, to try new experiences, and and you got to provide just that for people. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a um, tighter community. I think, like you said, uh, here up in Queensland, we actually even are friends with a lot of the guys working in VR as well. You know, there's certain companies up here doing that. And um, it's quite supportive uh, in terms of the developers in the community. Uh, So, yeah, and I think people will gravitate to, uh, in terms of gamers and stuff, they will support something that uh, is is new and cool and and get behind it. Um, Probably because there's maybe a bit less content on VR as well that's coming out. So uh yeah it's a cool cool community definitely no it's, it's certainly one of the best things about i mean like even in the traditional space when there's when there's a, a quote-unquote drought when it comes to kind of the triple a stuff i don't think there ever is these days but anyway um yeah that's that's always this opportunity for like gamers start 
looking for looking for other things and that's when these beautiful like diamonds in the rough start to pop up things that may have otherwise been missed and like, and uh-huh. people get around it and so to have the vr community as you say it's smaller it's tight and it and there's there's not as much coming out it's more opportunities for people to go searching stuff and they find fantastic games in the mix and that's obviously where dance collider um you know can thrive and and several other games too uh i guess yeah continuing on with the vr space you've also um and i guess we've you know spoken about games but there's some um, other aspects to your work as well that aren't necessarily so gamified. Uh, you've done some work with St. John Ambulances and some first aid related bits and pieces mm-hmm. in VR as well. So um, again, let's, I'd love to kind of pick through that a little bit because it's, I mean, it's, there's that whole games for impact sort of line of thinking and, and, you know, those, those skill sets that actually transfer really, really well. So what was that, what yeah. was that like uh, kind of developing for that scene? Because it's very different, of course, the stakes are huge. <laughs> very much yeah yeah no it was um i mean that was really one of the uh projects that uh was able to you know enabled us to start the company i guess um and uh it it did it kind of came about during this time when you know vr had started to really pop up and 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 create interest and um yeah one of the previous uh guys i used to work with in japan actually uh kind of got back in contact and um he had become the uh the the kind of the manager of uh digital something or other at that time at at saint john ambulance and um yeah it got off the ground remarkably quickly that we were asked to do a prototype and i think I mean, obviously, we must have done it all right because they gave us the, the contract. But, and that contract went on for several years. And we put, um, a, I don't know if it was all, but it must have been a, a you know, a majority of um, first aid, uh, what do they call like units, first aid oh, courses. Yeah. Training modules. The, uh, so, yeah. Modules, that's right. So we transferred that into to VR. And, uh, you know, at the time, for example, this was before, uh hand interaction um like there is now and so uh, you know tim can probably talk a bit more about that you know we we um yeah we put in the magic uh magic leap leap. magic leap yep uh it's been a little bit since we worked with that device but that was (laughs) before um all the headsets had the inbuilt hand tracking and yes yeah we were we also we had some other tech that we were using i can't remember what that one was called but it was actually so this was early days of VR or, you know, towards the beginning. And um, that other bit of hardware actually scanned. It was really cool. It scanned the environment and it could, um, you could place objects within the environment. It could track different uh, digital objects. It didn't 100% work properly <laughs> with our setup. So we actually went through a few iterations of different tech, but we were definitely working on things before they got integrated into the headsets as well. So we're working on hand tracking and all sorts of stuff. And the cool thing, I remember the cool thing about St. John was uh, you could actually talk to the characters in there. So it had voice recognition. That's very cool. uh, Which was cool. Yeah, so you could ask them, you know, what was wrong with them. They would respond, you know, say that I'm uh, choking or or whatever it (laughs) might be. And you go and you carry out the... um, your training, basically, that you've that, you, that you've learned previously in VR as well, you carried out on like a, a digital person. 
Uh, also, the mannequins, so the uh, resuscitation yeah. was integrated as well. So a real mannequin would be on the ground and there'd be a digital uh, you know, model of that person over the top of them and you'd interact with the mannequin and it would track compressions and uh it was really cool actually it yeah was, really cool they were project. really trying to they they i mean i kudos to them that they, they really so far ahead tried of, to push yeah. the envelope at that point yeah and we were lucky enough to be part of it and i think um i think yeah. i said this in the previous we had it in the well played um interview and that was that um we're really fortunate as well because we're also given uh, remarkably a lot of license to uh, be quite creative with the, um, the the structure and the world of this uh, first aid series. So it was actually set in the future, for example. And you can lean into those the, things. They have a bit of fun with it. We totally lent into it. Um, the The narrator of the whole thing was a robot called Mia, M-I-A, which was medical information assistant. She was a cute little robot that took you through. It was like a kind of a Astro Boy futuristic world that we put it in. So that, you know, and then they gave us that license to do that. So it was very cool. No, that's that's awesome, and I guess when when you're working and you know, obviously these are still collaborative sort of works, mm. uh, but VR wouldn't and game development wouldn't necessarily be the strength of those over there at, at St John's Ambulances. So when oh, you're presenting yeah. this and people are trying it out and there's opportunities for feedback, what what does that dialogue look like? Because it will be we were, very different. Yeah, we were lucky to have uh, Jezza, who you know worked at St John in that digital role. And he, he did a lot of the mediating between uh, what we were doing and their, uh, let's say, their less creative people in the company. So it was really interesting, actually. Uh, I think the CEO at that point of the company was really behind it. Like, it was like, yeah, do it. Go ahead and do it. And Pushing. Um, yep. so I think when the CEO was behind it, it's sort of like, yeah, we had, you know, a lot of uh, license to do some really creative things that we, we got to do. Uh, so they were really behind it. Uh, the thing that happened as we were sort of winding up development with the project was COVID hit. Uh, oh, yeah, so okay. it was un unfortunate timing. That was the period where COVID sort of came came into into the world and everything started to lock down. And so it was going to roll out the project on a bigger scale. COVID hit and then it sort of, I guess they locked it down for a little bit. And I think they've now only now sort of started to get it out there again into schools and stuff like that so mm -hmm. it's definitely been a long time a long process a long time coming uh i think vr now is sort of accepted a little bit more uh where it wasn't in in COVID, you didn't want to share headsets and stuff like that yeah, so i think we're getting a little bit back to normality in that respect so yeah i'll, I'll i'd love it to roll out uh, even further so yeah it's certainly a really fascinating thing. And obviously, you know, you touch on schools and the like, and we've mentioned it before the show, during the show, like I'm a teacher professionally and, and every couple of years I've got to get my first aid training and go through all those sorts of processes and they bring the mannequins in and like yeah, the 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 nerd in me is going, Chase, just give me the headset and pop me in and let me go for it. This yeah. is so, so, a much better way for me to, to enjoy it. Um, yes. Who knows, yeah, we maybe can imagine... it's way down to my neck of the woods at some point. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, you can imagine they could just, well, if they had the mannequin, they could put the mannequin in a, a room and you could go and do your training whenever you'd like. 
like yeah. you can sort of access it at any time and then they can take the headsets away with them so yeah it was definitely at that period that we were working on a very forward thinking uh yeah. hoping hoping yeah. it does roll out more yeah uh, i think the eventual goal wasn't it tim was to make it you know 100 percent certified so you know yeah not just you know a gimmick or a pro- prototype really the the with the final goal to certify all this stuff so i'd love to see that i don't think it's happened yet but it'd be very cool if it was you could get your certification by doing it in vr yeah yeah it could be very very cool and yeah who knows maybe i'll be lucky enough to try it out through my professional capacity oh, as well. hope so. Mm. Um, hope so so going from a whole range of vr experiences and we, we've obviously touched on a lot of uh inspirations and influences and games that you really enjoyed um over the over the years what was it like reverting back to i guess a quote-unquote more traditional type of game you know back back to a, a controller or a mouse and keyboard mm-hmm. with dross I, I think um dross dross began as some very early prototyping of just game ideas so that's where it, probably like many people i think at the time we were like all right let's play with some ideas that Spit we had and Funnily enough, we, we were also playing with virtual reality ideas with Dross early on. I oh, think yeah, cool. um, there was a game called, funnily enough, Moss. Uh, with a oh, little yeah, mouse. Moss is an amazing game. <laughs> yeah, so we really loved that, for example. So that, you know, we were looking at, we were just playing around with prototypes and ideas at the time. But I think as, as Dross grew, the game that we were developing, um, and I think in particular when we started to latch on to this idea of the dual character mechanic the back and forth yeah um it just became i think it became clear that um it was leading us in a in a in a way to the flat screen and um i think it was more of a decision of it would suit it better not only that we i think at the time we were thinking um even from a practical point of view we would have a lot more options in terms of platforms when yep. we created this game, like that was a purely, you know, very utilitarian decision. I think we were like, look, we we had uh, our dance collider, and we knew that you know we could only get it on so many um, platforms. Yeah, of course. Really, at the end of day, um, and I think as we were even from a probably practical financial standpoint, honestly, we were like, all right, this new game Dross, we think it could even suit flat screen. Hey, flat screen has a lot of options as well to take it to various platforms so i remember that also factored in um but yeah i think it's also just as we're prototyping we're like you know this this suits flat screen more and i think we've even had friends where that's been the case people have uh, you know i think that's something i had this discussion the other day and someone was proposing a, a, a new game idea uh to me and 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 they were wondering if it should go onto VR, and I was like, well, "Does it suit VR? You know what I mean? The the idea, does the idea suit VR or does it suit flat screen? You know, you've got to go, go with what suits really, not the other way around. I think, um, yeah. No, that's that's really really cool, and um, I guess there's there's some games, and as you said, you're kind of experimenting VR and flat screen, and you know that more traditional sort of setup, and sometimes it just boils down to like there's there's people that will be keen to make a certain type of experience but really at the end of the day it's what works best for the game and whether exactly. that is vr whether it is uh something flat screen with a you know traditional controller or mouse and keyboard in hand 
then so be it. Yep. It's, it's whatever and, works. And yeah, I'm still, gonna... yeah, I was yeah, just going to say, I'm still of the opinion that that's, um, you know, that's so true and that there really are still, you know, uh, games that do suit flat screen obviously better. Oh. And that will never probably change and you know then on the flip side there is experiences that suit vr better so i think that's yeah that's just echoes what we've said it's just it was a choice of what suits what yeah sorry tim i cut you off oh i was just going to say just even hardware wise um and the switch you know dross will go on the switch but and that's uh in terms of processing power obviously lower than uh pc but uh even hardware wise for vr you you do um, currently, I guess, limit yourself a little bit with what you can do uh, graphically, artistically. And so that factored into it as well, uh, as well as des design decisions. It was, uh, I think, you know, the VR headsets that might, you know, come out in this next generation will obviously have more power, be able to do more things. But yeah, you, you are limited in, you, in a way when we were starting to, you know, design dross in what you you could do and so you've really got to factor that into your production yeah, as well so we could do a lot more for the pc and as i said we were designing dross in a way for the switch as well where it will hopefully go onto the switch relatively straightforward onto that device um but yeah vr does have a few other things as well as uh it's probably i don't know ben what do you think a little bit slower to develop for vr in terms of a game like dross even development-wise, you have to put on the headset, yeah, you know, see your screen, and different. take it off. Just a um, different I mean, process. I, even the other day, I was talking to someone here even about QA testing a VR game versus a flat-screen game. And if you compare the number of friends and colleagues we enlisted to test Dross versus the number of colleagues and friends that we were able to get to test Dance Collider, you can't compare why because no one had a VR headset to try. And then you get some sub yeah, subset that, that talks so, about feeling sick when they're in VR and all exactly. those sorts of different things. Yeah. So I mean that's just another practical thing. It's like uh, I think this time when we were t Dross was far far more tested than Dance Collider, uh, far far more you know tested amongst friends, colleagues, and even people on the internet um, earlier on. Um, so I think that was one big difference from me. Um, if you, you know, especially five years ago when we were doing this, you could not say to a, the guy, you know, your friend down the road, oh, can you just play my VR game and see what you think? You know, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a thing. <laughs> so, oh, lend me yeah. your headset then. Yeah. And so obviously, I mean, you talk about testing and the like, and obviously there's opportunities like PAX, which fortuitously came back in time, um, for Dross. Uh, and things like Steam Next Fest as well. So you can obviously put the the game in the hands of thousands, millions of people at this particular point. And so just like any any form of testing, that's a huge opportunity for feedback from players. So how did you take that's on board right. all that yeah. stuff as it started coming in? Um, yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, go you ahead. Go. No, actually, I'll let you tell. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, really helpful, really helpful. Uh, things like... Well, Ben went over to PAX, so he can answer that side of thing. I didn't. I didn't actually go to PAX. Ben and Dion went to that. But uh, just in terms of Next Fest, that was an interesting one because, at I think I don't know if they've still got the rule of you know you have to do a Next Fest and your game has to come out within six months of a Next Fest or what. There's some rule there, and is um, there now? We like, I didn't oh, know that. Okay. It, it got it got delayed a little. Dross got delayed, and we're like, oh, we'll put in this Next Fest. Oh, actually, we're going to put in the one after. 
and then you know kept kept rolling back. But um, we did get it into I think it was last year into a next fest, and all that feedback came rolling in. Uh, we actually got to see people playing it, people streamed it, and mm-hmm. recorded YouTube videos and stuff like that. So we could see what they were doing and um, comments started to, more comments started to come in. And as you say, you get it into so many people's hands, your demo, and we could then just take all of that and roll it into the, the final mm-hmm. version. So really, really cool, really important. And yeah, I guess it sort of does grow a little bit of a um, fan base as well for your game. Yeah. So uh, a bit of an audience too, so so that's really handy as well with Next Fest. But yeah, Ben, I'll let you answer the PAX one. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think definitely echo those sentiments. Like we, I think we really did take a lot of feedback on board. I, not just saying that. I think we, I can think, you know, over the periods of months, the different times in which we would come up against something, whether it be combat system or. Uh, you know, stealth or collect collectibles or, or whatever. I we definitely did take a lot of feedback into yeah into consideration and dross I think and um, yeah PAX was um, I hadn't been to PAX ever in the capacity you know presenting or yeah. exhibiting um, and I was yeah I was really um, pleasantly surprised. I, I thought it was great. Um, I thought. Um, you know, it was very positive atmosphere. We had so many people, more people than I thought. Like we, I, I, I think we'd been conditioned, or I had, by our previous experience at Tokyo Game Show that Tim and I had gone to previously with Dance Collider, where we had had like a one meter booth with a VR game which doesn't sound like necessarily a good idea. And it wasn't, no. <laughs> well, it was fun, but. But yeah, got to flail your arms around in Dance Collider. And I remember Smacking that one, we had a lot game. of lot of people around and I had to sort of push people out of the way so they wouldn't get punched. And a yeah, few right. people did get punched at Tokyo Games. <laughs> it was quite violent, not violent, but it was definitely a different experience. Uh, being yeah, a few there black eyes. To what yours what you're saying, Ben, a, contr- a controller is a little bit different to a, uh, you know, punching sign in there. Full blooded. It, it was. So was a, for, me, for me and Dion, that was refreshing. I was quite surprised how much space we got. And I was like, my God, this is completely not like Tokyo. But uh, it was really cool. Um, and uh, we did, I think we did after that, take on board a lot of feedback. There's nothing like, there is nothing like standing behind someone playing your game for three yeah. days straight. Again and again and again. The same level, again and again and again. And you really pick up on things. Um, And I I think it goes both ways. I think we picked up on things we wanted to change, but then we were kind of um, reassured about some other things that did actually work. We were like, cool, that actually does work. So both both ways. Um, And also, not to mention just meeting a lot of really cool people that, we still keep kind of keep in contact with um, people that have contacted us, um, uh, you know, got back into contact recently because they saw us at PAX yeah. or, you know, they, they reviewed the game or they did a, a stream of the game because they saw us at PAX. So um, definitely worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's probably no purer opportunity to get feedback than to, yeah, as you say, stand there and watch as someone does it. And yeah, as you say, again and again and again, it's probably after a while, 
the the exhaustion starts to kick in. It, I mean, Pax Australia is a three day event. <laughs> you, you see that same build and those same portions get played over and over and over. And if you spot a flaw, then you're going to see it over and over and over. And I'm sure it just nags away in the mind the entire time. But it is, there's no purer form of feedback in in this space than to just observe people play. And it's different to a lot of other traditional testing opportunities as well. So it must be fantastic like that. Yep. Um, now. I guess before we start to wind things down, I should absolutely make sure the game is out now. We touched on this at the very beginning of the the show, and um, I want to make sure that we get the right amount of time to be able to plug the game. So, Dross, I guess top-level overview for anyone who's maybe not aware, and where can people get it? Yep. Uh, Well, Dross is a single-player steampunk adventure game. Uh, It's got a unique uh, switching mechanic in it where you switch back between... A uh, little slimy creature called Little Dross and a bounty hunter, half-dead bounty hunter called Captain. So you're, and they both have different abilities. So you're switching between them constantly and working. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of puzzles and platforming, you know, a little bit of uh, combat as well in the game. And both characters, as I said, do different things. Uh, little Dross is very nimble and but fragile at the same time. So she can actually leave Captain's body. It's like a symbiotic relationship. Uh, And she's keeping Captain alive. Captain's her shell. And while she's with Captain, he can move around. When she's separated, Captain basically collapses to the ground. He's half dead. And Lil Dross uh, can maneuver around. Um, Lil Dross outside Captain's body is very fragile. Uh, And so there's stealth mechanics involved with Lil Dross when she's going around the... Uh, tower. It's all based in a big alchemy tower, and there's enemies in there and stuff like that. And a captain, uh, when she rejoins with captain, he can fight, and so he sort of he protects her and he gets her through the enemies. And little Dross goes off exploring uh, to find the path forward. And uh, there's heaps of cool things you can do in the tower. Uh, you can, as little Dross, move really big objects through these things called Dross ports, uh, and you can. Um, she can't climb ladders, so Captain can climb ladders, but she, she goes off exploring and uh, Captain can weigh down pressure plates. And so you're basically using both characters uh, together to get from uh, a start sort of elevator to an end elevator in each stage. And there's 40 unique stages. So there's definitely a lot of um, different, different stages there with all different mechanics. Uh, I probably just should add quickly that, yeah, there's, uh, four levels of the this alchemy tower. There, it starts down in the catchment, which is like the sewers, goes from the catchment to the furnace, which is a lot of lava-based uh, stages, goes from the furnace to filtration, which is a lot of water-based uh, puzzles, and then it goes from filtration to distillery, which is a lot of air-based puzzles. And then there's a couple of uh, cool levels at the top of the tower, which I won't mention. Yeah, but, we'll try and leave that uh, unspoiled for people. We won't spoil them, but yeah, definitely, you know, it's a big game. Uh, it was a big undertaking for the three of us to, to do, and it's got a lot of story, and it's filled with characters as well that you can meet along the way. Uh, and it's, I guess it's got a comedic tone as well, so it's, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, it's got a, a comedic sort of tone to all of the characters, and there's some really odd characters in the tower as well. So uh, that's... Dross, yeah, Ben. I don't know if you want to, if I've missed anything there, but <laughs> no, that was pretty good, pretty good. I, well trained. You can, yeah, I'll try. Oh, can, oh, geez, I haven't done that before. Um, 
you can with the slimy creature little dross you can uh draw cool symbols that that's what i like i like that. yeah that that's was one cool. that we thought oh we're not gonna have time and scope to do that but we did so you can use your slimy tail to draw alchemical symbols and that activates things so thought that was very cool but uh yeah, yeah it's um um would love people to check it out um and give it a try and uh i think there is an i think there's definitely a nostalgic element to dross is it definitely pangs of kind of 90s uh both games and film i, I think that may come through um you know i've said to people you know films like the dark crystal and labyrinth um the 80s and 90s were inspirations and you know games of the 90s like you know the the, the monkey island yes um characters and sense of humor you'll find that in dross so definitely give it a chance give it a try yeah and it's uh, got a really wonderful style, and I'll admit that was one of the first things that really caught my eye, right down to the key art that you put together. Now, that's obviously not the playing experience for people, just the, but like that that piece of art caught my eye instantly when it came to you know um, pack showcases and all those sorts of things. But <laughs> there, really, really distinctive look that um, very aesthetically pleasing. I'm you know on top of everything that's been said, you've also got a looker that you've created as well. So, oh um, well, that's all. That's all, Ben. Uh, yeah, ben, oh. that, there's a lot of hand-drawn art mm. in Dross yeah. as well. We should say that. It's a mixture of 3D and hand-drawn art mm. uh, that ben, uh, ben does. Yeah, ben does all of that. So I think it was – it's like it's so hard to stand out, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yes, like whatever you – how do you – what do you do to stand out? And I think that's one thing we – one thing we did try. It's that, that kind of to get a little bit of that illustrated look into the characters. Um, and, it and, so, really you know, and so I remember when I was starting, like, um, it wasn't even that much. I, I think the earlier stuff was slightly more tame, not tame, but, um, as I went along, I, I pushed that even further. I guess that's the point. So I would overlay like, um, watercolor textures yep. and, and, and try to get that a little bit of a look like, um, like, yeah, like a, a storybook or a. A fairy tale illustrated book or something i guess that was the yeah the look no, no and it works really really well so uh the game comes i mean for whatever it's worth for those listening comes highly recommended for myself uh really enjoyed my time with it so far i'm not done as i as i mentioned uh before we started recording but really really yep, enjoyed you've got my to get time to the end so <laughs> yeah there's the, i mean i've kind of thanks to those who i know that are reviewing it i've kind of had some of these back end things spoiled for me a little bit unfortunately but uh oh okay but no, i'm still very right. much that's looking okay. forward to to experiencing them though myself uh the game is available now on pc uh and as we've touched on earlier in the show hoping to see it on switch in the future so uh, lots of people to look forward to there uh before we wrap things up i'll just quickly throw to myself for the shout out to you there to shout out the patrons who help fuel this show and so it's at this point in the show that I want to make sure that I shout out all of the amazing patrons at the show shout out tier on patreon.com slash dev diary podcast. Those people are supporting at the top tier in the show, gets them this shout out, and I'm eternally thankful because you are helping fuel the fire that is dev diary now and into the future. And so with this newest episode, I want to shout out Scott Makes Games and my mum, Julie James, thank you very much for supporting this show, and let's get back to it. So, 
as we start to wrap things up, inspirations. Is there anyone, any any title that's really kind of inspired you and the way you both go about your work? And that could be someone you've worked with closely, mm-hmm. someone you look at from afar that really serves as an inspiration. Is there anyone there that really has guided you a little bit so far? Um, I mean, I, I can maybe say for myself, uh, uh, I mean, I, I guess when you talk about inspiration, it's what, you know, anyone that, um, I, I think I said this to Tim a few times. It's like you, when you're younger or when you play these games or watch these films, you feel like someone has given you something that stays in your men- memory. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the, why do we do this? It's cause, well, you know, you hope to do that for someone else. And I think definitely personally speaking, um, I, I am just in, I, I always loved the works of studio Ghibli, Miyazaki yeah. Hayao's studio Ghibli. And, you know, having worked in Japan for seven years, uh, that was, I probably one of my most formative inspirations. Uh, so his works, but also him as an artist. I think um, his work work ethic, very hard worker, work ethic. Um, so that that's probably my answer. Yeah, fantastic. What about yeah, you? for me, um, yeah, it comes from inspiration from films, games. Uh, we talked about Zelda. Love love yeah. those the series of games. Uh, Monkey Island. We touched on that as well. That was a for me the humor in Monkey Island. Uh, I loved it when I was you know, growing up and we've tried to get a little bit of that into Dross as well. Some of that sort of wacky, strange uh, slapstick humour that comes from also things like Monty Python, oh, yeah. uh, Mighty Mighty Boosh. I don't know if you've seen yeah, the Mighty no, Boosh. Yeah, familiar with Mighty um, Yeah, that, that style of char- – those style of characters and, and humour, uh, you know, I tried to – you know, we both Ben and I tried to get a little bit of that into Dross as well, a bit, bit of – wackiness um but as as well as the sort of the fantasy films uh that ben touched on as well inspiration uh, like labyrinth uh willow uh you know film films like that uh tried to get a little bit of the they're they're films that have got sort of a um a bit of a darkness to them but also comedy as well and and light and they're a mixture of everything and we try to get that into dross as well so they're definite inspirations for me as well now you can certainly Um, see it in the game yeah, and you know, I, you know, other uh, there's definitely other things as well at work uh, behind Dross, but um, they're they're the ones for me. Yeah. And have there, and I guess this is the last of kind of the more serious ones. Have there been any uh, particularly valuable lessons you've picked up along the way for both of you? And obviously, you're working kind of different disciplines around this around this games business. But um, anything that's really stuck with you in particular? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole thing is a learning process. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, earlier, early on, uh, as our skills developed, as my skills developed in Unity, it was finding a, a place where I sort of sat within the team uh, yeah. in terms of the production of the game. So uh, Dion has his role as, you know, programmer, but he also does other things as well. Uh, Ben is very much on the art side, but does other things. And then for me, it was like, where do I, where do I sit? And so one of the things, you know, I helped out with music and all sorts of other things in the game, uh, dialogue and different systems. Yep. I had to wait for some of those systems to be designed for me. But 
it, I guess it was trying to find a place and not tread on other people's toes uh, in terms of creative decisions. Uh, although we do really work as a team and I think work well as a team, it's sort of um, you're just finding your place. And so for me, it was as my skills in Unity developed, uh, I could actually have a place within the game. So uh, in terms of a learning thing, it was making sure that I didn't you know, dabble in uh, stand on Dion's toes, like, like trying to overstep with code and, and things like that. And Ben's, you know, obviously a great artist and making sure that, you know, he he was able to do everything there. And then I just had to find my role. So I think it's important in a small team to find a, a place where you sort of fit and where your skills can really be utilized to their maximum sort of, yeah, level. Hmm. I think I'd, in terms of... I'd follow on the coattails of that and just say I think it's particularly in a small team um, if you can really find what each what people do best and it's still the case where everyone in a small team has to wear 10 hats and do a thousand things but still there are those things that we've learned and we know that everyone does better than someone else <laughs> and yeah. if you can really allow that person to do that and do it well then that is is really cool like uh, and um you know i've even experienced this with you know with the 3d artists that have come through and i i'm thrilled i, I use an example you know i generally pass on concept art everything we've done so <laughs> almost every part of dross has been concepted and I would yeah. pass that on. And there were many times when um, I would pa pass on a piece and um, I would then get it back. And f like there would just be certain details, certain care taken or little things that were added that I didn't ask for. But the artist had kind of taken their own little touches and flourishes and added that. And it just took it from here to here it, it just raised it to a you know yeah, it complemented it, it, what you'd already put together. yes it complemented and went a little bit further than i'd asked them for and it was even better and um you know for an artist that's god i couldn't ask for much more than that either so um but yeah definitely all a learning experience and um i think uh but you know i think we came out of it quite well <laughs> i think we did all right no, some fantastic things that will have you both well positioned for for whatever comes next. And I know obviously Dross is still on the on the radar right now, and I I hesitate to start talking about what's next because that's <laughs> it must feel like forever away still. But obviously, our like, brain those capacity sorts of things, won't allow it. <laughs> yeah, th those sorts of things though really help round you out and kind of mm. build you into what you are now, and have you well positioned for whatever does come down the line next. Some lighter ones as we wrap up. If you could be credited for any game retroactively add your name into the credits i was somehow responsible for x whatever it happens to be what mm. game would you pick mm. and i'm not talking about you as a team by the way i'm talking about individually so you can both go off in totally different directions or what, like any any game throughout history any game throughout history so i wish i could have mm. been that and i'm not saying you need to be I'll, the hideo kojima look, of metal gear solid for example yep. where your name's passed I'll, over it, i'll but... say look what one of my favorite ones was street fighter 2 you yep. know just, just nailed it. Like it, characters, uh, the the combos, 
the light, medium and heavy attacks. And uh, for me, if I could be in uh, credit in any game, maybe that, maybe as uh, I'm trying to think what I'd be credited as because it's pretty cool already, but Giles' voice or <laughs> anything you like. <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything. Uh, but yeah, that for me. Um, Special I'll thanks just pick if that's one. I'll, I'll, just pick, I'll just pick one. That is it. Yeah, Street Fighter 2. Fantastic call. And yeah, special thanks if you can't work out anything else. You can always claim that. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that gets you on Moby Games. Um, I think I'll say I think I'll say Shadow of the Colossus. Oh, yep. I'm just going to leave that on the table. Yeah, it's just... That's a cool one. Yeah. Shadow of the Colossus. No, fair. Yeah. Fantastic uh, calls from the both of you. Conversely, if you could go back and replay any game, strike it from your memory and get to experience it all over again for the first time. What game would you love to have that experience with all over again? I mean, I can... Um, I really enjoy that reaction when, when guests do that, by the way. That, yeah, oh. no. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what did you love? Like, there's, yeah. Okay, so one when I was... Once again, this is going to totally, totally date me. But That's fine. Um, there, was, there was a game in the... I think it was the early 90s called Star Control 2. Okay, probably very few people remember it but <laughs> <laughs> it was great it was um it was kind of like the the i think it was even before uh master of orion uh space exploration kind of games and yeah. you uh honestly you just took your little ship out into the cosmos um and you the whole game was kind of dialogue dialogue and with really funny funny alien races absolutely whacked out alien races that you would just go through space and you know some would try to kill you someone try to join you and uh i love that game so that would be my answer star control 2 yeah awesome yeah uh, that's a hard one to answer um because i'm just trying to think what gave me so much joy uh legend of zelda ocarina of time um that one when I first played it, uh, it blew my mind away. Uh, I, I just, um, just the story. I loved how you got to actually play the, play it as well, like play the yeah. instrument. That was so cool. Um, yeah, that really blew my mind away. Yeah, massive in 3D and stuff like that. Um, everything about that. I remember just playing that and sitting down. I couldn't put it down. Like I pick up the controller and I'd play it for hours. So when I first played that, that was definitely one of those ones that just, yeah, blew me away. No, fa fantastic call from the both of you. Um, and so I guess that's where we can bring things to a close. Uh, to the both of you, Tim, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this journey so far, sharing some fascinating insights into, into your own careers, into Dross uh, and a whole lot more. It's been really awesome to get to chat to the both of you. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate Likewise. you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, as, Paul. As we've already discussed, the game is available now, so people should absolutely get on Steam. I think you said it was Steam. It was on, uh, did yep. I hear GOG, Steam, Humble? GOG, yeah. Humble, mm -hmm. coming to Epic at some some point soon. Hopefully Switch in the near future too. Lots of exciting Definitely. options for people to, to go and check out the game. So I implore you to do so. It's a I'm having a fantastic time with it, and I'm sure you, the, the listener, will as well. Again, thank you to both the both of you so much for coming on the show. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Listeners, if you haven't already done so, please make sure to subscribe to Dev Diary on your podcast feed of choice. 
Uh, for anyone who's new to this, the Dev Diary Patreon is live as well. That's patreon.com slash podcast. So go and check that one out. You'll get early access to episodes and, and help grow the show out further. But as always, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Tim's and Ben's stories. Thank you much for listening, and I'll see you next time.